please be seated. We can turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 uh, through 4 this evening as we, we're beginning our, our series through the, the uh, foundations of the Christian faith, the essential things of the Christian faith. We're going to do five weeks on that before we, we begin looking at uh, the sort of essentials of, of what it means to be a Reformed uh, and Presbyterian church. Uh, and so Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, tonight we're looking at uh, the authority of Scripture. Why is it that we believe the Scripture has authority? And what does that mean for our lives? So Hebrews chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 1, uh, reading the first four verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. How, how do we know God? Uh, that's an essential question for not just the Christian faith, not only for, for Christians, but for, for everyone in the whole world. Uh, how we answer this question actually uh, says a lot about how we understand God himself. Here's what I mean. Most people think that if, if there is a God, then, then he's distant uh, and, and unable to intervene in our world. It's like he's, he's created our world and placed it into a box. And, and, and anything that goes into that box... Uh, he may look in from from time to time, but he doesn't he doesn't touch it. He doesn't he doesn't intervene in it. Uh, he isn't willing or is, he isn't able to take action. Uh, Stephen Fry, who uh, our family loves from uh, as Jeeves and Jeeves and Wooster, uh, had an epic rant a few years ago <clears throat> that actually uh, underlines this point. Fry's known for being a staunch atheist, uh, and a, a reporter asked him. Uh, what he would say if God to, to God if he if he died and were confronted by him, and here's what what Stephen Fry said. He said, "How dare you create a world in which there's such misery? That is not our fault. It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who created a world which is so full of injustice and pain? I would say bone cancer in children. What's that about?" Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, an utter maniac, totally selfish. We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him. What, what kind of God would do that? And he goes on and on, but you, you get the idea, don't you? Perhaps you've, you've heard something similar at some point. Undergirding, undergirding this view is, is, is the idea that, that God couldn't possibly have intentions or, or do things in our world that were, were beyond the comprehension of myself or, or Stephen Fry. And we can give Stephen Fry credit, though, for, for voicing the issue. Where is God in a world full of brokenness and evil? Some people would say he, he can't be known and is distant, but as Fry points out, that a, a God like that is just as problematic because, because there's, there's no answer or reason or solution for the evil and the pain people suffer every single day. But I think we, we should also point out that Fry's, Stephen Fry's solution is also insufficient. To assume that, that, no, that, that there's no God 
to think it's, it's simpler and easier just to, to banish him from our lives. To do that functionally the same as, as assuming if, there, that, that if there's a God, then, then we can't know him. We're still stuck with the same problem, aren't we? In a world where, where we have to, in a world like ours, we have to hope that we're, we're good enough and smart enough and strong enough just to survive, much less to, to put a stop to evil or undo it, the pain that it, it's caused. If God is distant or not there at all, that means we're truly stuck with evil. This is why our God is, is so great and so gracious, because he cares about us enough to be active in our world and to reveal himself to us. And that's what we believe scripture is. It's God's uh, revelation of himself. It's his speaking into our world. If we, if we read the Bible and, and believe the Bible, then it's, it's just as though God has spoken to us uh, individually. We can know and understand all that he has revealed to us because of his word spoken. And that's what we see this evening in Hebrews 1. That God has indeed spoken. There's, there's three things for us briefly to see tonight. First of all, that, that God has spoken with authority. Secondly, that, that God's message has, has power. And third, what God has spoken is, is final. So first of all, uh, God has spoken with authority. The, the writer of Hebrews tells us how God has spoken in verses 1 and 2. He says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Now, Hebrews says that, that God has made himself known. But there are some important features to this revelation. First, it's, it's an objective revelation. In other words, it is someone from outside speaking in. Someone, someone greater than us explaining our world to us. This is important for us to understand because what we're, we're claiming is that the, the scriptures are not something that is man-made. But it's actually something that, that God has spoken and that's what Hebrews tells us. The Bible's not a, a book of, of wisdom passed down from generation to generation. It isn't the wise sayings of, of Confucius or the, the trippy dreams of John Smith, the founder of the Mormons. It's actually the word of God spoken. It's just, it is truth from outside of ourselves. That's actually really good news, isn't it? That, that we have an objective, reliable word from God that we can look to in order to understand ourselves and our world and our maker. The problem that many Christians have, though, is that, that a great many Christians today have very little love for God's word. Rather, they trust to, to what they think is God is saying to them personally, and it's often exactly what they want to hear. And the truth is that Scripture very rarely tells us what we want to hear, because it's not from ourselves. And that's, that's why Scripture is so powerful, which we'll see in a moment. But the truth is that, that Scripture very rarely tells us what we want to hear. Because it's God speaking. It's an objective message from outside of ourselves. From someone greater than ourselves. And Hebrews tells us that, that he spoke it through his apostles and prophets long ago. And this is one reason why our first value as a church is God's word. We believe it truly is the word of God. It is without error. It's infallible. And if we want to, to know God, then we have to, to know his word and approach him by his word. But the second thing that Hebrews tells us is that it isn't an individual message, but it's, it's also communal. 
It was given through the, the prophets, not, not to one single individual father, but to uh, the fathers. Revelation is, is communal. It isn't, it isn't something that God spoke only to an individual, but through individuals to a community. And this actually adds, in many ways, to the objectivity. Because what we see in the, the history of the scriptures is that they are uh, authenticated. And here's what I mean by that. When the, the Israelites were brought out of Egypt, when they, when they come out of slavery... And they were, were standing before the mountain of, of the Lord. And, and they see his power in, encompassing this, this mountain in, a, in a, a pillar of fire. And they were standing there and, and they were told by God that, that once Moses was gone, then God would speak to them directly. And this scared the Israelites to death and with good reason. So what they, what they said was it would be better if, if God spoke to them through, through someone else, through an intermediary. And God's response was that he would, he would send uh, a prophet or, or prophets to speak to his people on his behalf. And the way they would know if it was from God was twofold. First of all, if the message was inconsistent with what they had been told previously, if the prophet told them, for example, to, to follow after other gods, then the prophet was not speaking the word of the one true God. And if what the, the prophet said did not come to pass, and the prophet was not speaking for the one true God. This is all in, in Deuteronomy 13 and 18. You can, you can look it up later if you like. But what I want us to see is, is that there were clear and objective standards for weighing what was the word of God. Those carried over to, into the, the New Testament church. We, we have evidence of that in the fact that, that there are uh, several heretical books that were ultimately rejected by the, the, the New Testament church in the first and second centuries. I can tell you more about that after the service if you would like. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but the, the point is this. God's revealing himself wasn't something that was done haphazardly, and it wasn't one individual coming along and, and claiming to have a word from God. It was delivered over, over many years in the context of a community of God's people and it was written to that people for a particular purpose. That community and the, the leadership of that community was called to test whether this was, was from God or not. So what, what this meant was that, that it was a, a very serious thing to claim that a word was from God. Because God had given standards in an objective way to determine what word he had spoken. And if it was determined that that word was not from God, then, then the, the false prophet, the person who had spoken that word, would be stoned to death. But God had given to Israel and, and later to his church this, this word. It wasn't a word for an individual, but it was given in particular context to God's people. And the fact it was given to, to particular people in particular context actually tells us that, that God's, God's revelation, his word is, is an intimate word, isn't it? Another way of saying it is that it, it's, a, it's a contextualized message. This, this point is, is really important for us to understand, actually, because it sets Christianity apart, because what we're, we're talking about is, is the difference between uh, a faith that's a set of rules and a faith that is, is a relationship with the living God. You can see the difference if you look at, at Islam, for example. It's, it's a religion that says, keep this set of rules. You're meant to, you're, 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 your meat must be halal. Uh, you have to pray seven times a day. You have to, at some point in your life, make a make a pilgrimage to Mecca, and along with what about four other big ones and, and lots of other small ones. It's it's largely a set 
of rules. But what we see in our, our second point this evening is, is the uniqueness of the Christian scriptures, the, the intimacy of them. We, we see that it's more than a set of rules. So we, we see in our second point that God's message is actually powerful. And the power of God's message is in part because of the, the intimacy that we're talking about. Scripture was written over a long period of time, but to a particular people, at particular moments in, in history. And what it has to say in each of those moments is not, here are a set of rules I expect you to follow, and if you follow these rules, you're going to be all right. Rather, it is God telling his people who they are and how they relate to him. If you remember this morning when we, we read the Ten Commandments, I said the, the, the key to understanding the Ten Commandments is, is actually that, that very first verse, the introduction to the Ten Commandments. It says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It begins, the, the, the law of God begins with, a, with pointing to the salvation of God and the intimate relationship his people held with him. See, the message that God, God gives to that people, Israel, over time is that, that he has created everyone and that we have abandoned him by our ignorance and by our sin, but he has not abandoned us. Rather, he pursues his people and he brings them into a relationship with him. And he's done that once and for all through, through his son, Jesus Christ. That's quite a message, isn't it? It's a, a message that is, is unique to Christianity. Because it's a message that says that, that God saves us when we cannot save ourselves. And that's the power of God's word, that it, it points us to, to salvation and not... And not to, to not, it doesn't call us to, to work harder, but to rest and to trust rather than to labor and to toil. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a beautiful and wonderful message to hear if you're a sinner, isn't it? Because most of us spend every day of our lives trying to, to justify our existence and to prove that we're, we're good people. And what Jesus has to say to you is, you're not, but I am. And I'm good enough for both of us. And I'm good enough for, for the whole world. That's why he sends his disciples out to make disciples of every nation. Because none of, none of us are good enough. But he is. If you read the Bible cover to cover, that's what, that's what you would read over and over again just applied to different people in different circumstances. The Bible's not a book of rules, though it gives laws and it gives principles that to, to live by. It tells us what is, is pleasing to God. But what the Bible is at its heart is it's the story of God loving and saving a people for himself. And that's the story that we're, we're telling as a church. Because that's the story that, that God has written and continues to write. It's the story that he calls each of us into this is why grace church exists because god is, is calling a people to himself from every nation and people and we know that god is 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 calling us into into his story a story that stretches for millennia this is also why at grace church we, we love the word of god because in it we can see our our true selves and we can see where our true hope lies it is in christ alone that we have salvation and we'll see in a moment how jesus is the final word but there's still a problem that, that many people have. 
And that is that the, the Bible is a, a very old book. It's been around for, for quite a long time. And there hasn't been anything new for, for so long. Why? They, they think it, it, it can't still be relevant today. Why should we live our lives by, by this very old book and, and even read it as, as anything more than a book about a very old culture that is, has fallen out of fashion? Uh, and this actually makes me think of, of a scene from, from the, the film Lord of the Rings. When, when Bilbo gets a bit too familiar with the wizard Gandalf. Gandalf's an, an extremely powerful person. And many, many times uh, in his life, uh, Bilbo's depended on Gandalf to rescue him and to help him. And Gandalf's always been there. But in the scene, Bilbo forgets all the, all the history. And he forgets everything that, that, that uh, Gandalf has done for him. And he actually says something very insulting to Gandalf. He implies that he's trying to steal from him. And suddenly the room darkens and the wizard begins to grow in size. And he says in a, in a deep voice, Bilbo Baggins, do not mistake me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. He says, I'm not here to rob you. I'm here to help you. And in ancient Israel, we, we actually see the same thing happen. God, God saving his people over and over again. And his people forgetting. And then God saving them again. And his people forgetting and God's saving them again. And our culture tends to make this very mistake when it comes to God. In this country and in, in uh, my home country, uh, America, where you have uh, churches on every street corner, and the Bible has been, been studied for generations, and it's been picked apart by, by academics, and we've forgotten, we, we, we tend to have forgotten ourselves. We've forgotten our place. And we've mistaken the, the God of Scripture for some conjurer of cheap tricks and we insult him with our ignorance and our blasé attitude we we take his name uh cheaply and in vain we we hear it all the time don't we and some will even ask why doesn't why doesn't god just keep speaking and, and revealing himself if he would just speak directly to me then then i would believe well we actually have a reason why and we see it here in hebrews and it's our our last point this evening the reason is because what God has spoken is final. His word is complete and finished because Christ has the last word. Look back at verses 2 through 4. It says this, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, I don't have time to go through these verses in detail, but if you look carefully at them, I, I hope the question shifts away from, why doesn't God speak to me, to what else could God possibly say? What, what more could he say? Then to you he has said, as we sometimes sing, to you who for refuge to Jesus has fled. Because that's the point the writers of, of Hebrews is making. God's not a, a conjurer of cheap tricks, is he? And he said all that, that needs saying in his son Jesus Christ. You see, the foundational truth of Christianity is that, that Christ is all that we need. That in Christ we have the, the hope of salvation from from the punishment of our sins because he, he paid the penalty for them once and for all. 
In Christ we have access to God because Christ gives us his, his status of being the children of God. And he brings us into his family. In Christ we're given the, the hope of a future spent with him because Christ is God and he is king over the whole universe. And if you take refuge in him, then there's nothing more that needs saying. You see, the, the beauty of God actually speaking into our, our world is, is that the message is the message. It's what he has to say. It isn't a message of condemnation, but it's a calling to know him and to be known by him. To lay aside all those things that we've we've we, we've been seeking our refuge in and to enter into the safety of Christ Jesus. I was a, a youth intern one summer in the, the States for, for the church where I grew up. And uh, at the end of every summer, we would take the, the youth on a, a camping trip. Uh, and this trip started off beautifully. It was, it was beautiful weather. Uh, it was absolutely perfect. We loaded up a, a bunch of vans and, and we took about 20 kids off to the mountains to, to camp. And as we drove up to the campsite, dark clouds began to gather and, and it started to pour down rain uh, as we pulled in. And lightning was flashing and, and thunder roared. Uh, and the youth minister and I decided it was our duty to, to get out of the van and to, to set up the tents so that our, our kids would have shelter. And so after about a half an hour, we were, we were completely soaked. And we had a, a tent that, that had mostly collapsed and it was completely sopping wet. Uh, and we had about seven more to put up. So we, we got back in the van to regroup and we, we did the only sensible thing. Uh, we drove to a hotel to spend a night in a, in a proper refuge from the storm. And sometimes I think we, we spend our whole lives trying to, to erect a tent for ourselves in a, in a storm, in a hurricane even. And we're left facing the futility of the task. And the calling of, of Christ Jesus is to stop trying to erect our own refuge from the storms of life and the storms of eternity and to enter into the hope and mercy of Christ Jesus. See, that's the message that God has spoken in his word. And Hebrews says, it's the only word that we need because it's God's final word. Let us pray.